This is the John Oakley Show podcast. We're joined in studio by Peggy Nash and Catherine Swift. Peggy is en route. It's that traffic in the rush hour, we understand. So uh, all is forgiven and soon to be forgotten. But Catherine Swift is here. She managed to make it despite the traffic. (laughs) I walked from Union Station. (laughs) Maybe that's why. There you go. Uh, The former president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and current spokesperson for Working Canadians. So i got to ask you about that. When it comes to work, uh, some people are compensated more regally than others. It leads to the politics of envy, as I say, you know, maybe delineates classism. Now, the sunshine list has come out again today, and we know this was established by the Harris Conservatives back in the mid-90s at 100 grand. So 100 grand ain't what it used to be, okay, but it's still not insignificant. Well, I think as long as it exceeds the average income of, you know, your average Ontarian, then it, it doesn't make sense to increase it. I know there's a lot of arguments, oh, adjusted for inflation and all that kind of stuff. Um, but frankly, $100,000 is still a very attractive income. The average for the the rest of us chickens is around sixty five seventy, so it would, you know, it's significantly higher. And the thing that gets me about this, too, is one of the real distortions in public sector versus private sector compensation is pensions. And uh, there's other benefits as well that are quite costly. This doesn't include any of that. So this is just that salary number. So, you know, if you, if you added the pensions and everything else, you'd have another 30 to 40 to 50,000 on top of that 100. Right. And because with defined benefit pensions, which nobody gets anymore. No, public government. (laughs) Yeah, the the public sector, uh, which means you have to have a nut somewhere parked on your behalf uh, about, what, one and a half mil, two mil? Well, the the most public sector pensions um, uh, are about 70% of the last, again, it might be the last three years. There's some variation, but the last couple, three years of earnings. Right. So, uh, in other words, for your 100K person on the sunshine list, they'd be getting a pension of about 70K. That's integrated with CPP. It gets a little complicated, but that's the ballpark we're talking about. So, oh yeah, you're, you're looking at a good 2 million plus to, to get that kind of pension. Right. Absolutely. To kick it out at 4%, for example. Absolutely. But the other, the other problem is, of course, these are very underfunded. There is not that nut, as you refer to it, you know, sitting out there to fund these. The, the rest of us, uh, p- private sector taxpayers, are, the, are, are supposedly deep pockets, are the things that are supposed to fund these going forward. And it's getting worse and worse, of course, because you've got the aging population everywhere, including in the public sector. So there's a lot of retirements coming in the next decade or so. Right. These legacy costs, uh, that's the hidden burden, as you say. And so when you've got, say, like a Doug Ford in charge now, where he's got to sort of rationalize the expenses, the costs, and all the rest because of public sector, I mean, uh, that's a large component of it. It's like 90% of the budget, I think, is wages, isn't it? No, it's not that high. It's about, it's, I, th- I think the, um, different levels of government seem to have, uh, you know, different uh, proportions. Maybe that's But police. because a lot of provincial spending goes like into education and so on, uh, other services. Now, granted, that also, there's a salary, big salary component to that as well. Um, it's usually around 60 or so percent for the provincial government. But when I was looking, I just briefly looked over this because it just came out today. But what got me was... And again, the sunshine thing is always appalling in my view. Uh, But what really got me was the overall salary budget in 2018 for the Ontario government increased by over 14%. In what that's just the overall budget, Uh, it's about 20 billion. And and I thought, if you're running a company and you saw, unless the company was going gangbusters, a 14% increase in your payroll. 
that's huge. Yeah. yeah, that's that's six times inflation. It's it's insane is what it is. So something's got to give here. But of course, I mean, the big mistake was unionizing government in the first place because it's, it's basically extortion of taxpayers. And uh, we know what happens. You know, the Ford government basically sneezes and all the unions go insane. So, um, you know, to try to, to try to roll this back is, is a very, is a very difficult proposition. But if, if we don't do it, I mean, I've, I've referred to it in the past as the Grecian formula. You know, you end up having, uh, you end up going bankrupt as a, as a jurisdiction. And, and as you say, Ontario, Ontario's in very rough shape right now because of the 15 years of big spending liberals. Yeah, uh, it seems unsustainable. And yet on the other side, when you've got like the president and CEO of uh, the Ontario Power Generation at the top of the heap, 1.75 million plus 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 i guess as you pointed out jeffrey lyash uh somebody running an operation of this magnitude and importance to the economy and uh whatever to uh the public uh benefit does that seem like a lot to you? No, I, actually it doesn't, uh, even though I'm a pretty big advocate of you know cutting back public sector compensation, mostly because of ex- exactly the reason you say. They're running a very big operation. Now, we always get those examples, and everybody, like Ford used the $6 million man, right, for, for Hydro One. Um, uh, we always get those big-ticket examples, which is not surprising, but the real money, the, if you accumulate it, the real money is that clerical person who's making eighty grand a year, and frankly, should only be making 55 or whatever, you know, number you want to pick because there's so many of them. So when you look cumulatively at, you know, all the money spent, yes, the big salaries always are going to attract attention and, and so on. But the real the real dollar savings are in the thousands and thousands of people that are probably making 20 to 30 to 50 grand more than the same job would pay in the private sector where businesses have to compete and so on and so forth. So that's that's where the real money is. But, you know, they're, they're all, it's always kind of pizzazz to look at those big salaries of the handful of senior executives. Well, the original intention, by the way, was to uh, have uh, maybe the public sector work for less than what would be there in the private. It wasn't necessarily commensurate, but they had job security. And better benefits. That that was the case prior to about the mid-60s or so. Um, yes, you had better job security, which is worth a lot. I mean, job security is worth, you know, a lot of money uh, and, and things like pensions, better pensions than the private sector. But yes, the average wage would be slightly lower. Peggy Nash has joined us now in progress, visiting prof at Ryerson University and former Canadian labor official and former NDP MP for Park Delhi Park. Thanks for joining us. Sorry, I'm late. I made the mistake of trying to get a cab in the middle of rush hour traffic, and it was faster if I had just walked. Right. Or taken <laughs> transit. Well, I did as far as I could go. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> that's something else we'll talk about, because, you know, the province uploading the TTC uh, has become somewhat contentious with city council. The mayor sort of caught in between. He had a meeting with Doug Ford, the premier, yesterday. Uh, we'll hear from him. Catherine and I were just talking about the sunshine list. There's also a list of uh, people uh, on the uh, health care bandwagon, and they've rather done nicely. So uh, I wanted to broach those topics with you here while we have your undivided attention. Peggy Nash and (laughs) Catherine Swift. We'll come back with that and more in moments on The Oakley Show. Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Peggy Nash is in the house along with Catherine Swift. By the way, after the top of the hour in the news, we'll be talking to Brad Poulos. 
Ryerson University's Ted Rogers School of Management, where he's an instructor and cannabis expert uh, because the cannabis shops are not going to be ready to go on Monday when they're licensed to do so. Only about half of the 25 in the initial tranche. And by the way, uh, people prefer to shop in shops. We established that last hour with another expert from Brock uh, as opposed to doing it online. They like to feel the product and uh, know that they're getting service and also not be tracked uh, with online (laughs) types of uh, purchases. But uh, I wanted to get back to uh, the issue at hand. And Peggy, you're having joined us as a labor expert. Uh, Catherine Swift and I were just discussing the Sunshine List and all these people that are on it. Like it's, I don't know, up to 30,000 now or something in the province. The labor or the wage component in the public sector is so onerous. uh, This is something that needs to be addressed to wit. Uh, Healthcare executives, uh, I think in total of the seven health agencies in the province, including the LINs and eHealth, 1,460 of them drew down a total of $188 million. And you know, you're shaking your head, and that's good, because uh, this is one of those things where perhaps it's time to rein in public sector spending. And if the Ford government's going to rationalize you know, deficits and debts, is that one area that we ought to look at? Well, you know, I think a lot of people who work in the public sector are providing important services. You're talking about health care. You're talking about education. And uh, when you are part of a service delivery organization, frankly, a lot of your uh, a lot of a lot of your cost is in salaries because that's what you do. You deliver right. a service. I guess what some would question is the the thickness of the level of management at the top of that and some of the salaries really, right. you know, do you really need a half a million bucks in some of these jobs? It, it seems pretty outrageous when I know that people at the bottom end of the scale in who are providing healthcare services, especially in the private sector. That's not what you're talking about here. You're talking public. public right. But a lot of them are so squeezed, they don't have enough staff resources. And frankly, they're okay, at the so very bottom of the Okay, so let's just talk about the top of the pyramid uh, and uh, the relatively high earners, because we were talking Sunshine List, over 100000 But Catherine pointed out, and I think correctly, that uh, the legacy cost, too, with pensions, defined benefit pensions, and the packages some of these people have, wouldn't that be one of those obvious areas that the government should zero in on to start rationalizing expenditures. See, I come at it the other way. I say, why are our private sector employers not providing defined benefit pensions? What are people going to live on when they get to retirement age? I mean, I know people will say, well, invested in the financial sector, etc. But people fought very hard to get uh, a secure income for their retirement, like a defined benefit pension plan. And frankly, I don't begrudge people uh, who are working hard every day, delivering frontline services, uh, being able to deliver those services well over the years, and then be able to to get a retirement. And by the way... You don't think they're too extravagant here in the province? I don't think you can call... Like, you know, you want to look at some of the extravagant pensions. Why don't you look at people at the very top end of the spectrum who maybe work in these jobs for two or three years, and they walk out with massive defined benefit pensions and other big payouts, whereas somebody who spends 25 or 30 years slugging away at their job. In my view, they should have a pension. And I guess I would say it's a shame and shame on all the private sector employers that don't provide these same 
benefits because I think, you know, they take Well, they don't have the benefit from... of a union and the muscle that that presents. And, uh, Even you know... when they do have a union. Look at the auto sector, for example. There's private sector heavily unionized in Canada. Um, and they've had to be bailed out by taxpayers several times. Uh, they paid that money the... back. And by the they way... They didn't pay it all back, Peggy. And, they did not pay the it way, all back. now they're making a lot of money and they can afford to pay those well, pensions. Well, the, the, the problem it, when you operate in a competitive market, which is what happens with the private sector, is that these types of pensions which were structured back in the day when people lived till 70, not 90, and there's, you know, there's an awful lot of difference now. They're, they're simply unaffordable, unfortunately. Well, we're going to run into a demographic cliff where people today, when they get to retirement age, are suddenly going to be living in extreme poverty because they don't have any kind of secure income. Not true. If you're, if you're relying on Canada pension, if you get the max of Canada pension, guess what? You're probably getting the princely sum of a thousand bucks well, there's a month. So been don't a try ton to of retire research. on that. There's been a ton of research done uh, on retirement. And interestingly enough, even Bill Morneau wrote a book before he got into politics. He changed his tune once he got into politics, where if you count, just, just because you don't have, say, a defined benefit pension, People have assets, people have RSPs, they have TIFSAs, some they have CPP. Do. Some, uh, some quite, people. Qu- quite a lot of Canadians do. The vast some majority people. do. They also have real estate value. They also have other assets. And when oh, you cumulatively Catherine. look at all of that, look at those it's young a whole people different today. story. Look at those young people today who are never going to get into the real estate market. There's no way Peggy, they're going to get in. Peggy. They can't even afford the, the exorbitant rents in this city. We have. So how they're still paying off their student debt. How are they going to be able to put money away? And yet you we know, have one of the highest rates. By the time rates. the clock runs out, they're trying to have kids. At some point, they're going to want to retire. Guess what? The clock has run out. They don't have the money. They don't have the equity. They don't have the property. Well, the thing is that, that we have one of the highest rates of home ownership in the world in Canada. We also have seniors, by the way, that are doing better now than they've done in decades. It's your generation and, and my generation. That's not the kids that are in well, their 30s today. Yeah, well, I have kids in their 30s, so I'm, and, I'm, and I'm well familiar. Know, they with, struggle. Well, they're doing okay because they worked hard and, and they don't work for government because, uh, you know, they realize that's a trap. And I'm sorry, I think when you get to government salaries too, you also have to look at the product offered. And when we look at, say, education, we're paying teachers a lot of money. They retire very early, big pension, big other benefits. They contribute a and, lot of extra money into those pensions. So yes, they have an uh, employer contribution, but they pay a lot of extra money out of their salary which in is, order to get a decent pension. Which has been topped up in their salary over the years as well in collective bargaining agreements. And by the way, with a teacher, it's about right now it's about 14% the teacher contributes and 14% from you and I. Of course, you and I don't get a pension out of it. So in other words, 28%, you or I could not contribute 28% and get the same tax advantages that say a teacher. You know, we're limited as to how much well, we can put in an RSP. Well, your kids should become teachers then. I don't begrudge. No, that's not, no, that's the, not the answer because they're actually begrudge, contributing. I don't begrudge. So are teachers. I don't begrudge well, they're taking people more than they're who, contributing. who have a lot of education and who are contributing to the formation of the next generation who, who I, I personally believe in a strong public education system. My parents and grandparents fought hard so that we would have a decent public education system. So kids didn't have to go to and work at age 14. And we got half a grade 6 fail in math. To, they could go to school. It's a great leveler in All our right. society. Let me ask it's, you before I'm out of time here. I'm sorry. Because, uh, <laughs> I was almost out of breath, I but was, not quite. No, you know, just uh, paying rapt attention to uh, both sides of the argument. 
On another matter, though, uh, the province wants to upload transit, and the mayor is uh, getting some heat, I guess, from council, but he says any decision on uploading as it affects our subway system needs to be in the best interest of the people of Toronto, and if it's not, then we'll uh, stay away from it. Let me just throw it quickly back and forth. Good idea that the province would handle this file and maybe even monetize it in terms of building around hubs, you know, owning the air rights and so on and so forth. You support that, Catherine? I think it makes sense. Yeah, but of course it has to be done properly, and that is the big question. TTC has been mismanaged for a very long time. You want to talk about overpaid people? TTC, we got people in ticket booths making over a hundred grand a year, which is madness. Um, uh, so there, a lot of reform needs to happen there. So yeah, I think it's a good move. But again, I wish they'd stop changing transit plans every couple of years because then it, set, it seems to set us back uh, in terms of actually getting anything built. So I think it's it's in good in theory, but we're going to have to see what happens in practice. Well, you know, to pick up on that point, we get a different plan with every mayor, but sadly what we never get is the money. And uh, I mean, I've, this has been a yo-yo over the years and nothing ever changes. I took the Queen car yesterday and I, I mean, I don't think you could have got one more person on that car. It was abysmal. So we need a relief line. Um, and I, I change at Young and Bluer every day. I mean, it's, it's frightening how crowded those platforms are. Do we need investment in subways? Of course we do. Is Doug Ford going to do this to the benefit of the city of Toronto? I don't know. Uh, he seems well, more intent on settling old scores. Oh, I come don't on. Know. Isn't it? Um, look, we've seen what the city hath wrought. Uh, nothing, really. There's stasis. We're not getting, except for, I guess, a couple of cross towns on St. Clair as well as Eglinton, which will be completed in 2022. But if there's an incentive with the province operating things, uh, you build around the hubs. You know, housing becomes an issue there and you monetize. I don't too. disagree with building around hubs and, and you, you know, in, in so many parts along the, the existing subway, we have two story uh, architecture, which makes no sense close to subway lines. I guess I would say the, the people of Toronto with their taxes and through their revenue, because we pay, uh, I think it's about 70 percent of the operating revenue through our our fares. Uh, we've put a lot of money into this subway system. So I guess one of my questions is, is the province going to reimburse the city for taking over the subway system? In other words, are they going to pay for it? Well, they're going to pay for it in the f- fact that they'll be able to uh, draw down revenues and do whatever, develop the relief but line. What, as I take that what as difference a no. does that make? I it's the same taxpayer. No. It's the no, same no, taxpayer. No, no, no. But, you know, it's <clears throat> this people of Toronto and the riders of the TTC have paid for that subway system. And I guess my question is, if somebody's just going to take it, is the city going to be but reimbursed? There's, there's Where's a, that money coming There's also from? a tax subsidy of the subway system, and that comes from a, a much broader base than simply Toronto. So The vast uh, majority of the operating funds comes from the people who ride the subway and the buses well, Once again, it's, it's a matter of scarce resources. How much more can we spend? Uh, we're badly, badly in debt, as you and I were saying offline, John. Ontario is now worse than Quebec, and it used to be better than Quebec for the longest time. And there's not unlimited resources. And, you know, as long as you have things like public sector compensation sucking up so much, it means other things don't happen. I love well, to see I'd, these I'd like unions. I'd like to see the province give <laughs> money. I'd like to see the province give money to the city uh-huh. for the subway and then let the people People who use the subway develop it. Oh, okay. I don't know uh, if that's if passes prologue, that ain't going to happen. But Peggy, thanks for coming in uh, <laughs> as well. Catherine Swift, both. It's uh, always very enlightening when you come in, both of you, and uh, we go at it. Thanks so much for your time. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks. Look forward to it. 
Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 